0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Gospel of Luke chapter 2. This morning we're continuing a series entitled The Best Life. If you haven't been here with us, we're looking at the Gospel of Luke. In particular, we're looking at the life of Jesus through the lens of the Gospel of Luke. And what we're looking for are those components in the life of Jesus that we could take and apply to our own lives so that our lives could be the very best life we can make it. And I believe that Uh, Jesus' life is the best life that was ever lived. And so it is just logical that we can uh, look into his life and find things that we can pull out, apply to our own life, and make our lives not only better, but make our lives the very best they can possibly be. Now, when you look at the Gospel of Luke and even the Gospel of Matthew, because those two Gospels have the birth narratives... There's a lot of information that leads up to the birth of Christ. And we're also digging into some of those passages. And today's passage from Luke chapter 2 is one of those, because even in looking at the passages that lead up to the birth and life of Jesus, we can glean some things that will help us to live the very best life we can. The title of the message today is Life Happens. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when uh, Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea Under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and she laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it's Christmas again. It's the time when we celebrate the fact that you showed up. Your showing up was unexpected. It was without a great deal of global fanfare. It was without fireworks and sparklers and majestic robes, or even a crown. It was very humble. Nobody expected you to come where and when and how you did, but you did. And in coming in the way that you did, where you did, at the time that you did, You teach us some things about how to live life. And it seems that your birth and everything that surrounded your birth is at odds with what we are looking for in our own lives. It seems that we're looking for bigger and better and richer and wealthier and up and up and up. And your birth says, no, there's something different. And so, Lord, teach us what you want us to see about life, as it ought to be. Lord, we come to you and pray for people in our church like Meryl Jenkins, Mike Sutherland, Rebecca Summers, Janet Moroy, Annie Hamlet, Mike Laster, Charlie Pace, Clyde Taylor, Ed Johnson. For Mr. Yarbrough. For Stanton Johnston. For Robbie Blanchard. For hurting families. And for all the families, especially those represented in our church who have lost loved ones over the past year, or who have had life-altering crises during the past year, and so Christmas is quite different. We lift these people up to you, Lord, all of them. We don't like for life to happen like it sometimes does, but it does. So God help us. Help us in these days, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been waiting for it all year, Uh, not eagerly, by the way, Um, but rather with some level of dread. I'm talking about Christmas. I've been dreading Christmas. I don't mean to throw cold water on the fires of excitement of Christmas. That's not what I mean. And I I don't mean to say that I dislike Christmas per se. I mean, I know that it is the most wonderful time of the year and all that. I know that. But I've been dreading it. I'll, I'll tell you, I have not looked forward to it with eager anticipation. I knew it was coming. On January the 1st, 2012, I knew it was coming. But that didn't make it any better for me. I mean, it's not that I dislike Christmas. How could you dislike Christmas? With all the festivities and the family get-togethers and the great food and the smell of evergreens and, and blinking lights and gifts under the tree and the excitement in the eyes of virtually every child, the magic, the nativity scenes, the musicals, the Christmas carols, how could you not like Christmas? Well, if you're a preacher, you wouldn't like it. I know that sounds strange. Preachers ought to like holidays like Christmas, shouldn't we? Let me give you a little bit of secret that that is true for most, not all, preachers. All the God-called ones, for sure. The hardest sermons to preach for most preachers are those sermons that we have to preach at holidays. Now, not every preacher, but for most of us, and I can say that because I've read what a lot of them have to say, they dread preaching Christmas and Easter. Man, we all love preaching Christmas and Easter, don't you think? Well, no. And here's why. You've already heard it. And you've heard it and you've heard it and you've heard it to the point that you've overheard it. And, and our challenge as preachers is to try to get you to hear something brand new that you've overheard so much that the moment that I read the passage of Scripture, you've checked out on me and started thinking about the football game after lunch today. I know how you are. And so it's, a, it's hard Preaching Christmas and Easter is hard for us preachers. I dread it. I dread it. I so dread it. But the calendar ticks off a day at a time, and sooner or later, it's happened to me, for now 53 years, Christmas happens. It shows up. And you know, I can call in sick on the third Sunday in July, or the second Sunday in October. But you'll get fired for calling in sick the Sunday before Christmas. And if you call in sick on Easter, you might as well just go ahead and put your resume out at some Presbyterian church somewhere. Because the Baptist church is not going to let you back in the door. So you've got to preach. I don't care how sick you are, you've got to come preach on Christmas. And so here I am. I don't really have anything to say. (laughs) Somebody said, well, what's new about that? (laughs) Christmas happens every single year. And life happens every single year. It happens often without warning. And often when it does happen with a warning... You don't get a precise warning. You may know the what, but you don't know the when and the how. Or you may know the when, but you don't know the what or the how. Or you may know the how, but not know the when and the what. And so you're still just lost out there when life happens. In fact, go back right now, right now in your life. Just go back uh, five years ago today. Five years Just all of you in your mind, go back five years. How many of you would have dreamed that you'd be where you are right now five years ago? Life happens, doesn't it? Life happens. And really, these short seven verses in Luke chapter 2 are about the fact that life happens. Oh, I know, I know, it's the nativity story, and it's Luke's part of the nativity story, which is my favorite of the two, Matthew's being the other one. I like Luke, I love Luke. But more than being just the nativity, it is a passage that tells us that life happens. That life is full of uncertainties. But of all the uncertainties, there are some certainties, and one of the certainties in life is that life happens. Now, let's take a look at something here. Luke starts out this passage saying, It came to pass in those days. In those days, life happened. There are a number of things that happened number of ways in which life happened back in those days. For instance, civic responsibilities were required. The government in Rome, in their day, day, sent out a decree that everybody had to be registered. The government had to know who you are, where you were, what you made, so that they could then decide how much you were to support the government and all the civic responsibilities. Mary and Joseph had civic responsibilities that were required. I don't know what all they were, but I know that there were civic responsibilities. They may not have been the same as the ones that we have today, but they had civic responsibilities. Second, uh, taxes came due. You know, I don't think it's fair, really. And I don't think it's right. And I mean to talk, when I get to heaven, I'm going to talk with whoever planned the calendar the way they did. It was a cruel joke to put Christmas Day on December 25th, I think. I think it should have been July the 24th. And the reason I think that is because here you are, you've spent all this money for Christmas presents. And then you get a bill... On December 27th, after you're a broker and broke, saying your life insurance is due and it's going to be due January the 3rd. And you're saying, what? And your car insurance is due and you're saying, what? And your homeowner's insurance due and you're saying, huh? And then right after the first of the year, you start getting 1099s and W-2s. Hot dog. Wished I'd have thought about this on December the 20th. Before I spent all that money on Christmas, taxes came due for Mary and Joseph. Unexpected events occurred for Mary and Joseph. I mean, we've said this before, but it'll do to repeat. Think about the conversation. Think about the conversation. Mary comes up to Joseph. Now they're engaged. Actually, it's more than engaged. In our world, you get engaged to get married, and then the next thing you do is get married. In their day, there was uh, engagement, and then there was something called espousal, which was more serious than engagement, but not quite as serious as marriage. It was so much more serious than our engagement that if you were espoused to somebody, you had to get a writ of divorce to break the espousal. But yet you weren't married. And so here is Joseph and Mary. They are a spouse. They are in a serious relationship. I mean, on Facebook, Joseph has already gone from single to in a relationship. <laughs> and Mary comes up to him and says, Honey, you need to sit down. Well, Mary, I don't have time to sit down, it's Christmas. There is furniture to be made. There are building blocks for kids to be constructed and sawed into. She said, Honey, you need to sit down. He sits down. What do you want to say? I don't have a whole lot of time. Well, I'm pregnant. Now, they haven't been together. What? Whose? How could you? And then you know the conversation. She says to him, like any good super spiritual person would, it was a God thing. I'm telling you, Joseph, it was a God thing. Well, it was a God thing. She was telling the exact truth. Are you going to believe that? You think Joseph's going to believe that? Nobody with their right mind and a brain between their ears is going to believe that. Until an angel shows up and kind of sets Joseph straight. He didn't expect that. Neither did she. Unexpected events occurred. And don't you know, don't you know that about the time that uh, they had this news that she's expecting and they don't, Joseph is really confused about it to the point where at first he's going to divorce her. He's going to cut off the espousal, but he's going to do it privately because if he does it publicly, according to the law, she gets stoned to death. So he's going to do it privately, and then the angel comes along. And then about that same time, what happens? Oh, Caesar Augustus said you got to go to Bethlehem and register for the tax. Oh, God. Why did they ever put Christmas so close to tax time? Stigmas were attached. We're talking about life happened in their day. Stigmas were attached. Can you imagine them... Now, they didn't have Baptist churches in those days. All they had were synagogues in the temple in those days in in the area of Israel and Judea. But just imagine there was a Baptist church over there and Mary and Joseph came walking in. She's obviously expecting. And some dear sweet lady who's been in that church ever since Noah baptized her comes up to him and says, oh, is this your first time visiting us? Yes, yes, yes. Well, how long have you been married? I see you. (laughs) We're not. Oh. Well, it's good to see you. Y'all can sit right over there. Y'all sit right over there. How old are you, honey? Fifteen, maybe? And about that time, her husband comes up. And the woman looks. She says, what do you think, honey? These They just came and she's... You know she's expecting, and they're not married, and she's only 15. And the guy looks over at Joseph like, you sorry rascal. She's just a kid. Now think about it. Isn't that what would happen? Think about it. We're not going to act like, oh, but we know who you are. You are the one who is highly favored among God. We don't get that yet. We don't get that yet. Stigmas. Same thing would happen today. Young lady walks in, it's first time she's been in church in forever. And she has on a dress because she thinks It's been so long since she's been in church, she thinks all the women still wear dresses. So she wears a dress, and the dress reveals a tattoo on the side of her calf. A tattoo. And the tattoo says, Margaret. Now, a lot of people are going to look at her, and before they ever speak to her, they're going to look at the tattoo on the side of her calf, and without even reading it, they're going to size her up. Am I right? Hello? Hello? They're going to size her up. Before they ever find out, before they ever find out, and I realize this is not the case with every person with a tattoo, but before they ever find out, they're going to size her up before they ever find out that Margaret, was the name of her mother. And when she, was, when she was six years old and her father went out and left them with their mother, their mother is the one who went out and got a low-paying job in order to continue to support the other three kids and later on to help support them in college And when her mother died, when Margaret died, in honor of that wonderful woman who persevered and sacrificed in order to help her kids, she tattooed her name on the side of her leg. Can you really still feel so bad about the tattoo? I mean, really? Come on. Really? Stigmas were attached. Babies demanded to be born. I love the way the the scriptures talk about this thing. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. When the fullness of time had come. You know what that means in layman's terms? That baby, it was time for that baby to come and he was going to come. Nobody was stopping him. Get out of my way. That's what it means. Everybody thinks Jesus is so meek and humble, and he kind of, he right before he was born, he kind of look, looked and said, is it all right if I come now? I mean, if it's not all right, I'll wait a couple of days. Oh, no, no. That's not what it was. That baby said, I'm a coming. Get out of my way. Babies demanded to be born, and housing was not what one wanted it to be. <laughs> Mary and Joseph. You ever ever go on vacation somewhere without reservations? My mom and dad are notorious for this. I do not go on vacation without reservations. And the reason that I don't is because I spent most of my childhood going with my parents to either Panama City, Florida, or Gatlinburg, Tennessee, without reservations, and we'd spend the first day and a half looking for a place to stay. And so I refuse. We had a... uh, we, we, we got uh, some friends of ours who were very gracious to us, offered one year to let us uh, use their condo for the cleaning fee. That's a pretty good deal, as you know. You have friends who have let you do that. And so here we have this, this really nice condo. We're going to pay the cleaning fee and get to stay all week. And uh, Amanda, being the pet lover that she is, she insists anytime we go on vacation to take Lucy fur <laughs> and so she made uh, sure with the people who own the condos that all right if we take a pet is it pet friendly yeah yeah not a problem not a problem they were very nice about it and so off we go we're figuring we're going to stay in a week in a condo for 75 five dollar cleaning fee and we get down to the gate it's a gated community and there's a guard there He looks like Pontius Pilate. He won't smile. He leans over to the car when I roll down the window and I give him our reservation slip. And he says, there's a dog in your wife's lap. I said, yes, sir. We heard it's pet friendly. He said, you heard wrong. We said, well, we've talked with the owner and the owner said, I don't care what the owner said. Homeowners Association pays me not to let dogs inside this gate. We said, but we talked with the owner. I don't care. Amanda said, call him, Jimmy, call them. So I get on my phone to call the owner, and I put the owner on my phone with this security guard, and the security guard says, I don't care that you own it. I don't care that you told them they could bring the puppy. They're not staying here. Now, I had a choice drive all the way back to Palmetto from Palmetto from Panama City, Florida or go find me another pet friendly place to stay cost me $1,800 <laughs> that I didn't expect to have to spend the irony is we ended up staying at a place that was not pet friendly but the real estate agent got on the phone with the owner and he says these folks want to stay in your condo they got this little snow-white dog that's cleaner than my kids are. (laughs) And they let us stay there for (laughs) $1,800. Housing was not what one wanted it to be. That was in those days. What about in these days? Guess what? In these days, civic responsibilities are required. Taxes come due. Unexpected events occur. Stigmas are attached. Babies still demand to be born. Just ask the Weimers and the Millers. Housing is not what we'd like it to be. Have you found that to be true? I did a little unofficial appraisal of my house the other day. It's, it's worth $70,000 less than it was five years ago. That's the real reason I don't feel like preaching on Christmas. <laughs> Now, here's the deal. Life happens. Life happens. Alex Huxley said this. He says, experience is not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you. Charles Swindoll said this. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to what happens to you. Michael Mantell said, you know what happens to scar tissue? It becomes the strongest part of your skin. Stephen Wright said, if toast always lands butter side down, and by the way, it does, then, and a cat always lands on its feet, what happens if you strap toast to the back of a cat? (laughs) John Lennon said that life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Will Rogers said, the worst thing that happens to you may be the best thing that happens to you if you don't let it get the best of you. Life happens. But Mary and Joseph were able to make it in the midst of all of life happening. And let me tell you why they were able to do that. Let me tell you why they were able to do that. And this is not going to be on the slide, so you'll need to listen. They were able to do it because there were some things they knew for sure that nobody else knew. They knew, Mary knew that God had spoken to her. Joseph knew by this time that God had spoken to him. They knew. And it didn't matter if they got there and there was no room in the inn. It didn't matter if they had to sleep out on the street. They knew something nobody else knew. And let me tell you this. Not only did they know something nobody else knew, but they knew something that nobody else, almost nobody else, would believe even if they told them. I'm pregnant and I've never been with a man. Oh, yeah, right. But it was true. You see, you've been there. I've been there. There have been times when there were things you knew for certain. You'd done your research. You knew the truth about a matter and and you knew it for certain. And you acted upon what you knew for sure and nobody else believed it. And even those who heard it, heard your explanation, they they still didn't accept it. Some would not accept it until after it was proven to them by some other means. You've been there. There are things you know. And you know it. And you can't make anybody else believe it. But you know it for sure. And so you just Knowing that there are going to be people who are not going to accept it, you just got to act upon what you know for sure. Mary and Joseph went on. Yeah, the taxes were due. Yeah, they had to make a trip to Bethlehem on a donkey 80 to 100 miles with she's expecting a child. Yeah, they got there and there was absolutely no room for them in the inn. Yeah, they had to sleep in a cow barn. Yeah. All, these, all this life happened, but they kept going because there were things they knew for sure even when nobody else would believe them. They kept on going. You see, the best life is one that allows for life's interruptions and then commits those interruptions to God. Because in reality, God is the only one who knew the interruptions might come. And he's the only one who knows what to do with those interruptions. What do you know for sure? Then go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we don't understand why life happens the way it does. We question you a lot about it. It's natural for us to do so. But Lord, help us to know some things for sure. So that when life happens and the taxes come due and Christmas appears and stigmas are attached and unexpected events occur that we'll still know enough that we'll keep on going. And while we may not have reservations at the motel, and even when the reservations that we did have may not turn out to be the ones we get to use, we know that we have a reservation with you, God, and that you have a purpose in mind for what we're going through. So God help us, like Mary and Joseph, just to keep on going. To allow for life's interruptions and just to commit those to you because you're in charge. And when nobody believes us, or almost nobody believes us, as long as we know for sure, God just help us to go on. I pray in Jesus' name.